Welcome to Turning Point Leadership Podcast with your host, Ron Harvey of Global Core Strategies and Consulting. Ron's delighted you joined us and excited to discuss and help you navigate your journey towards becoming an effective leader. During this podcast, Ron will share his core belief that effective leadership is one of the key drivers towards change. So together, let's grow as leaders. Here's Ron Harvey. Hello again. This is Ron Harvey. I'm the vice president and the chief operating officer of Global Core Strategies and Consulting and coming to you again with Turning Point Leadership Podcast, which is all about moving from success to significance. And it's always an honor to be able to bring people on the show and share with you um, on the first Monday of and third Monday of every month about the things that leaders are going through and the challenges and some of the successes or the journeys that leaders have taken. So our leaders come on board and they have real honest, open conversation or dialogue about their journeys. And so I'm always ex- excited about what it is that people have gone through to get to where they are um, and embracing the hard because it's not easy being a leader. So on this week's episode, we have a phenomenal friend and person that I've met probably about a year ago as she was taking a new position in healthcare. And so it's exciting to have LaShawn Bethea with us today to be able to share her journey. So welcome to the show, LaShawn. It's, a, it's an honor. Thank you for saying yes to the invitation to be on the podcast. So welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Yes. So, LaShawn, before we dive into it, I know we talk, we talk healthcare and we talk NCAL. Would you share a little bit about your role and your position in the organization in which you're leading now? Sure, absolutely. So I am the executive director for the National Center for Assisted Living. Cal represents assisted living providers, owners, operators, but also advocates on behalf of individuals who live in an assisted living setting, but also who the caregivers who work in those settings as well. And so we are a federation model. So we advocate on the federal level, but we also support our affiliates, which are in just about every state across the country. Yes. Lashana, I have to say, everybody's going to be at some point, know someone or connected with someone that's in an assisted living facility. So you will probably touch, the organization you're leading will probably touch every one of us at some point throughout our lives. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. As individuals are aging, and we know that the number of individuals that are turning 65, 75, and soon 85, um, right now 65 and 75, there are 10,000 individuals that turn that age every day. Um, And some of those individuals will need some assistance. And so they will be looking for that assistance to occur in an assisted living setting. And as you stated, every one of us knows someone that turning a year older every single year. And again, some of those individuals will need some assistance. And so that's what we're here for. Wow. So that number that again, 10,000 every day, every day. Yes. Wow. And Never. in 2025, we will, I think our first boomers will turn 84, 85 years old. And so you will see 10,000 people, not only turn 65 and 75, you will turn, see 10,000 people starting to turn 85 as well in a couple of years. And our generation, our population is getting older. And many of those individuals, either through the advancement of Alzheimer's or, or because they have multiple medical complexities, will will not be able to live independently at home. And it is important that we continue to advocate for the, the role of assisted living in our entire continuum of care for seniors. We play a vital role. And so it is important that we maintain our sustainability so we can meet the needs of individuals in our communities. 
Wow. Thank you for the work that you're doing and for sharing the information. And I think that's one thing, especially when you look at the Af African-American community, that we don't talk a lot about assisted living facilities. I think sometimes even our communities, it had a bad name or a bad reputation or brand, and we just didn't know enough. So when you're speaking and you're out, African-American leader in this organization, you know, what would you share with some of the people that are listening to our podcast about some of the stigma that comes along with assisted living facilities that we can clear up today? Sure. One of the things I would say is not just specific to assisted living or other senior living environments, whether it is residential care or independent living, I would say that if you have a family member that is in any of those settings, that your involvement is is key. Being there, visiting them, talking with the caregivers, talking with the owner and operator so that you have a clear understanding of what services can be provided in those settings and when that setting can no longer meet your family members' needs. And so I think that we have our individual ability to advocate on behalf of our family members is key no matter what the setting is. Um, so that that is one piece of advice that I would give to individuals that are needing some assistance. Yes, I love it, love it. Be involved in, in, in the lives of the people you care about. It is super important. And that's at every level is that we have to be more involved in ensuring that our loved ones are taken care of and we're asking questions and we're being an advocate for them. So I love that because sometimes we're, we're not as involved or engaged in that care. And it's not just the facility or the school. You really got to be engaged and involved. Almost like a PTO is only as good as the involvement that you bring to the table. So that is phenomenal advice. Thank you for sharing that. Let's talk a little bit about your role as a leader, as a female in leadership in healthcare. Sometimes we think as leaders, we don't know the level of leadership training or development that people in healthcare get. How important is leadership in healthcare from your perspective? It is extremely important. And so one of the things that I believe around leadership is that I believe that leaders ex exist not only at the executive level, but at all levels within the organization. I think it is important that we as individuals who are leaders, who happen to be executives, are not short-minded that there are leaders in the environmental services or housekeeping department, there are leaders in the direct caregiver department, There's there are leaders in the food and nutrition department, and these individuals have not only a powerful voice in many cases that can influence and motivate others to give their best every day that they show up at work, but they are also people that are going to tell you how best to achieve the, the goals that you set for your organization. There is no better person to tell you how to keep your community clean than the person that is leading the environmental services department. There is no better person that can tell you how to meet the needs of the residents that you have in your community than the person that is providing direct care every day. And so I think that when there are leaders that are at the executive level, that you empower people to show up as their leader. I think everyone has some leadership potential. And I think that it is up to the individuals who are at the executive level who also happen to be leaders, because again, I don't believe that they are the only people in the organization that can be leaders. I think we have to create a safe space for innovation and creativity and for people to show up as the leadership person in themselves every day that they come to work. Oh my goodness. Now, LaShawn, you dropped about 10 things that people need to take notice of here. And so I got to break that out a little bit for people as we talk about it. I love that you're saying that leadership at every level is super important because sometimes we do get stuck on the executive suite or the C-suite or the people that are at the top in the organization. But you've literally said, hey, a couple of things. You got to empower people. You have to create a safe space. And there are leaders at every level. 
So when did you begin to recognize that it's not just on you at the C-suite or the executive level, that it's important to make sure you empower leaders at every level? When did you begin to understand that? Because as a young leader, sometimes you want to do it all yourself. I struggle with still wanting to do it all myself, but you recognize that it's not, you will not be successful if you think that you are the only person that can hold the keys to the door. You have to really give every, you need to go to the copy place and make multiple keys and give everyone the key so that when you are not there, that someone else can step into those shoes and run the organization. And so you ask, when did I first recognize that that's a vital piece? I will say that it was probably when I was in middle management, but that's not the first time that I experienced that leaders exist outside of the executive level of an organization. I look back to when I took my first job as a licensed practical nurse, my very first job out of school, and I went to work in a setting and I was fairly young. I had just graduated high school. I went through a licensed practical nursing program in my high school. And so you have this 18 year old licensed nurse who goes to work in, at the time I was working in a nursing home and literally everyone that I worked with was older than me. And not only were they older than me, I looked probably like one of their children. And sometimes yes. they would make that statement. They would say, oh, you're old, you're young enough to be my child or my grandchild. And I had to figure out how do I, one, get these individuals to trust me because I have to give them direction. I have to tell them how to assist in caring for the residents that are living in the nursing home. I'm taking orders or direction from the physicians that I then have to sometimes do myself or pass down to other individuals. And in order for them to feel comfortable in the direction I'm giving them, I have to instill trust in them. And so that is when I thought the best way to instill trust is to start to, to empower those individuals and do some of the work that they are doing to show like I'm a part of the team. I'm not up here and you're down here. We all serve a vital role. And the things that I have to do are no more or less important than the things that you have to do. And it's really about the team effort. And that's when I realized that, oh, the people that are doing this work every day know so much more about this aspect of the work than I do. And so again, empowering them to say, instead of me coming to them with all the answers saying, how do you think it is best, how we can best get Mrs. Jones to take her medication or to go to her doctor's appointment, because guess what? They're working with Ms. Jones every day. I didn't know that at the time that they were using their leadership skills to motivate the team to do something that might've been difficult or motivate a resident to participate in an activity or go to a doctor's appointment. They were using those skills. But as I reflect back, I'm able to see lots of lots of examples where people are using their leadership skills to inspire, to motivate, to be innovative, and they would do that more successfully in places where they felt like they had a safe space to be creative or innovative. Yeah, what? Yeah, I mean, phenomenal information that you're sharing. So definitely, I'll tell you up front that we'll have to invite you in again because the information that you're sharing as a leader about being able to build trust, create a safe space. And it's not about how smart you are about the job that you do. So how do you begin to develop? You're in a role and you came in. How do you begin to build trust? Because a lot of people, like we had an all-time low of trust across our society. At every organization, regardless what industry you're in, trust has been a challenge for us. As we are coming out of COVID and we're getting back into the workforce, trust is a challenge. How do you establish or reestablish trust? Sure. I agree with you 100%. I think trust is key to any relationship, professional relationship that you may have with either your peers or people that you, your coworkers or people that you work with. And so I would say the number one thing that I think is important is being consistent, doing, say, say what you're going to do, do what you have said that you're going to do, and then follow up with individuals. Because again, perception is, is, 
sometimes king or queen, as we would say, in terms of, did you really do what you said what you were going to do? People may have different perceptions about that. And so I think when you follow up, you build that trust that if someone perceives your actions to be inconsistent with what you said, they know that they can have a conversation with you, you know, about that. I think the second thing that I would say is that be open to pivoting or changing. I think that when people hold on to, this is the way I feel and I'm going to do this at all odds, it doesn't create an environment where you can adapt to and pivot. And I think that when we think about leaders that are successful, leaders who are successful have the ability to pivot, to change to the different individuals that they're working with. People have different strengths and different skill sets and you need to be able to pivot to, to adapt to the individuals that you're working with. And then the last thing I would say is being transparent. I think that having being transparent is one of the things that is likely to build trust. If people don't feel like you are sharing all of the cards that you have, or you're holding them so close to the vest, they will do that they will do that in kind. They will respond in the same way. They won't give their all. They won't share ideas. They won't be innovative or creative because they don't feel that they have a safe space to do that. And they judge that based on your own behavior. If you're not transparent in your interactions and your thoughts, then they will not do that as well. Wow. Un unloading again, once again, tons of information. So you started off with, you don't have to have the only key to, to drive this car. So go out and make multiple co copies of your key. So when you're not around, other people can literally keep the organization moving forward. And then you also came back and said, you don't have to know everything. You really got to be able to not feel like you have to have all the answers and be able to pivot and change. Like your idea is not always the winning idea. You may have the title or position, but you want to embrace and you'll change and you don't get stuck on, I'm going to do it because I'm the boss or because I said this is the way we've always done it. So some really great advice to leaders that are coming up. When you look back at your career, what is the one thing that you've learned from someone that was a mentor or role model that helped you be the person you are today? So What's you the most as a leader? Yeah. So I will say you, you mentioned something key, which I hadn't had an opportunity to bring up, which is the value of mentorship. Yes. I would say that if there is one thing that an individual can do to help them be a, what I would like to say, a successful leader, and I deem a successful leader as someone that empowers other people to show up with their best leadership skills as well, I would say mentorship is probably that number one thing. And so I will say that from the, and I've had multiple mentors. And so that's the other takeaway is that a mentor is not just one person. It's not a stagnant thing that as you evolve as an individual, you will meet people or you will need people that you will need to seek them that will help you grow in that space that you are in. And so you should never think that one mentor can be your all for everything that you're going to need in your professional journey. And you might have two or three mentors and you should always be looking for someone that is going to help you through your that part of your journey because there's always going to be someone that has been in that part of the journey. And so I think back to one of my mentors that I talk with every day and one of the things that she empowered me upon, and it really feeds into a lot of the things that we discussed already, which is that when you have a subject matter expertise, when you are skilled at something that you do, titles become irrelevant. And so when you are stepping in a room, people invite you into that room. They should be inviting you into that room because of your knowledge in that area. And you should never be intimidated by the titles of the people that sit around the table. You should own your expertise in this area and be as confident as you can be. And that, and that happened to me because 
this mentor would put me in the room with executives. I'm talking about chief operating officers, chief executive officers, chief financial officers. If there was a chief, I was in the room with this person because my mentor who was the vice president at the time and I was a manager and then a director, I sometimes would feel imposter syndrome as I would go into this room because I would think, oh my goodness, I'm going to speak with all these people who are at a higher level in the organization than I am. And I didn't have this kind of cloak of confidence walking into that room. But when she said to me, no one knows the information that you know, no one has had the experience that you know, you are, I am sending you in this room in lieu of myself because you are the subject matter expert. So you need to go in that room and you need to own it because there is no one else that has the knowledge and information that you own. And when I went into that room and I had that experience, I knew from that moment, the titles are really not relevant because I had the knowledge and that's really what they wanted from me, the knowledge. Yes, yes, I love it. There's a book, LaShawn, that's called Own the Room. Really great read. And so when you said that, I'm thinking of like, how do you walk in, not arrogant, not cocky, but assured that I I know what I need to know and they're depending on me to bring that to the room. Because we all, you said a word that we're all struggling with as well. People struggle with imposter syndrome. They can have all the titles, they can have all the degrees or the position, and they'll walk in the room and all of a sudden will we'll be very self-critical and begin to tell themselves things that are not accurate, which holds them back. So I love that you talked about imposter syndrome. I love that you talked about having a mentor. I loved about you saying own the room, which is super important. So as you, in the role that you're in, I'm sure you get a lot of requests for people that, that want you to mentor them. What advice would you share with someone that if they're going to ask someone to mentor them, what does the mentee need to bring to the meeting or to the table? That is a great question. So one of the things that I think is really important is that the mentor-mentee relationship is critical and you want to be able to get a lot out of that relationship. But remember that it is a give and take. So even though the mentor is giving you advice, they want to also get something from that relationship. And so you have to help them as a mentee. How should they invest in you? Why should they invest in you? People want to be tied to success. And if so if they see that you're motivated and that you're ambitious and that you're innovative and creative, they want to be linked to that. They want to be tied to the success. So if you take one step, they're gonna take two steps on your behalf. If you look at the relationship more of, I have nothing to give them and they have everything to give me, that is going to create a relationship where the mentor is may not be as invested in the mentee. So think about the fact that it is a two-way relationship and you should be thinking about all that you may have to give your mentor. And sometimes that is just your journey of success. Seeing you benefit from the information that they're giving you is all that they might need to receive in order for them to continue to invest in that relationship. Yes, yes. Phenomenal information. Because when you come in as a mentor, they do have an investment. It's a stake in the game for them as well. So I love that you're sharing that. But as we begin to come to a close for this particular podcast, I definitely want to invite you back. What would you share with leaders, especially female leaders, when you look at it, LaShawn, what advice would you share with female leaders that we're finally starting to have these conversations and people are embracing them? It wasn't easy to talk about before, and I still don't think we're where we need to be. I think we've made progress, but we're nowhere near where we need to be when we look at corporate America. What advice would you share with a young female leader that's trying to navigate the space of getting to a leadership role? Sure. So I would say that as you see other people who look like you, 
who are in the roles that you want to be in, do not hesitate to reach out to them and make the connection. I will tell you that I, again, I had some fear. I saw someone that was in an executive role probably 10 years ago, and I thought, I want to be in that role. I looked the individual up on LinkedIn, and I wanted to just cold send them a message saying, can you mentor me? And I never, I actually never did it because I'd never had the nerve to be able to do it. Come, to come full circle, I was on a board in my state, on the board of nursing, I was a member of the board, and I had an opportunity to interview this same individual. So I never thought I would see her again. She's a, has a prominent, had a prominent role, now is retired. And I had to share with her 10 years later that I had thoughts of reaching out to you. And I wish that I would have because she received that message so well and said, I wish that you would have, there was a lot of opportunity for you. And so it was a missed opportunity for me because I was afraid to reach out that this woman would not receive my desire to be like her one day. And so what I would say to people is that if you see someone in the role, do not ever feel like reaching out to that individual, because even if they're not in a position to reach out, people can to mentor you at the time, they may have connections of other people that could mentor you, but they will think about you that you had the courage to reach out to them. And it may be a situation where it may come full circle. They may not be able to assist you at the time, but there may be a future time that they are able to assist you and you will be on their mind. This young lady reached out to me. This might be a great opportunity for her. Let me open this door. Wow. Wow. Thanks, LaShawn. Really phenomenal information. The last question, then I'll ask you to just, if people want to get in contact with you, they're looking for someone and they love the podcast and they want to reach out to you. But the question before that, what do you tell female leaders that sometimes want to always focus on a female mentor or look at a female leader? How important is it for them also leverage the males that's in their career path? I think that if you are able to identify a female or a woman that is a leader, and it's particularly in your space or even outside of your industry, that is great. But I would say that whether they are, I think that your selection of mentors should be really gender neutral. It is really about identifying an individual that you can see yourself in that role because they are mimicking, whether it is their mission or their vision, their philosophy, whether it is the role that they're doing. Again, I believe that you can have multiple mentors and people are going to open different doors for you based on their own experience and connections. And so I think as a woman, you should not limit yourself to only identify women mentors. Absolutely. Look for mentors that are men and don't limit yourself demographically. If you see yes. someone that is in a space that can open a door, you should put demographics aside and say, reach out to that person and say, you are some, you are in a place that I want to be. Can I have a conversation with you? Can we catch up and get coffee or lunch so I can hear more about your journey and hear if there's a space or opportunity for me to get on that track? Wow. Wow. I had no idea what you were going to bring to the table. So as you listen to this podcast, what I will tell you is the leaders that we bring on are having real conversations. They don't have pre-positioned questions. I had no idea when I met you. I think we were in DC and we we're at a conference, like what all you brought. But I did realize that I wanted to talk to you and I wanted to have opportunity to hear your story. And I love that you say, don't box yourself into gender or demographics or positions. Find someone that you see that you want to be like and have the conversation, push through your fear and take the opportunity to go forward. Mentors love being mentors. They love helping, but they do want to see a return on investment. They want to see you implement. So LaShawn, if someone wanted to reach out and they'll listen to this just to learn more, what is the best way to, to reach out to you or just connect with you if someone's listened to the podcast and they want to talk to you? 
Sure. So I am absolutely on LinkedIn under LaShawn Bethia. I also, again, am the executive director for the National Center for Assisted Living. And so if you are able to Google NCAL, N-C-A-L, or www.acaahcancal.org, you can also find my information there as well. Yes, thank you so much, LaShawn. It is a it has been a true pleasure this morning to be able to do this with you. And I'm sure that all of our listeners will enjoy this. Again, this is Ron Harvey with Turning Point Leadership. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Global Core Strategies and Consulting. And this show is all about moving from success to significance. Because I truly believe once we reach success, we should reach back and help others. Thank you for listening to our show. What a wonderful opportunity. And we look forward to seeing you every first and third Monday of every month. Again, thank you. And you guys have a wonderful day. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Turning Point Leadership with your host, Ron Harvey. We're so glad you joined us. Remember to join us every first and third Mondays and expect to receive real answers for real leadership challenges. Until next time, make a difference where you are and with what you have. There are those who are counting on you for effective leadership. <laughs>